I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey, it's Janet Varney. You're listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh? Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I hope all of you are enjoying your quarantine as best you can, staying healthy, creative, inspired, productive, whatever uh, whatever you're feeling right now. I hope you're feeling it. Um, I'm excited to bring you this episode today. It's one of our last episodes that we recorded face-to-face before we moved into the uh, home studio, and, and we're going to start bringing you some virtual virtual interviews coming up but um, my guest today is Janet Varney we had a really fun conversation I hope you're going to enjoy it as much as I did Um, if you don't know Janet I discovered her as um, as a cast member on you're the worst uh, which I describe as an r-rated millennial Seinfeld I think it was an fx show Um, she was really funny on that and Janet is also the host of the SF Sketchfest up in San Francisco. She's been producing that for almost 20 years now. Um, She's the host of the JV Club podcast. Let me say that right. The JV Club podcast, um, which has become one of my favorite podcasts. For for some reason, I just can't stop listening. She spends time with um, comedians, actors, friends, um, kind of digging into their childhood stories. It's a great show. I definitely encourage you to check that out. Um, and on top of that, she's she's a busy, busy woman. She's on the animated series The Legend of Korra. She's on Stand Against Evil, which is kind of a cult hit TV show. Uh, she was a guest on Key, Key and Peele, where she played white woman number one, according to IMDb. Um, and we, we join our interview kind of midstream. Janet and I are talking about the fanny pack that she wore into the studio. Um, and I do want to give a shout out. Uh, we talk about it a little bit, but Janet was unable to make it to an earlier interview we had scheduled. 
Um, she felt bad, although she didn't need to. She sent us a box of cookies from my favorite bakery in LA. I think they're the best bakery, uh, the best cookies in LA, a place called Delicious down on Highland. Uh, they make a vegan, vegan chocolate chip cookie. I'm not vegan, but I, I, I really think it's the best cookie. So when you get off quarantine, go check them out. We went um, our last day before quarantine and stocked up on a dozen that we could put in the freezer just because uh, who knows when we're going to have them again. So anyway, let's get into the interview right after our EDM.com track of the week. Yeah, that was Chris Mack with With You, the EDM.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com and check out more new music. And right now, let's get into the interview with Janet Varney. And now, now you see them like all, all different ways. And they yeah. got the big ones. Yeah. That are like it's a backpack. Yeah. That probably would be... Then I really would, like, then I would just hurt my back. Right. I'd feel like, why am I carrying yeah, books exactly. here? Um, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like American Apparel, were maybe that was the company that sort of blurred the line because, like, they were do they had fanny packs semi ironically. Yeah. But then that sort of swept into, like, the rest of hipster culture being like, no, actually. Well, I think that is, whole, yeah, I mean, good. that's a great point. Like, and that brand was really at the forefront of, yeah. like, you know, ironic fashion. Yeah, underage then, models, notwithstanding. Well, sure, um, but it's like it's like full full circle, right? Because it was not ironic, and then it was, and yeah. then now it isn't. Yeah. And people are wearing stuff for real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. I feel like our whole culture has kind of gone through that. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Even like terms, like things you say. I feel like. What's one for you? What's a thing? Or well, something you say that you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah, well, I here I want I remember something very specific, which was everyone started shortening stuff. Yeah. Like totes, blah blah blah. Oh, yeah. Which was just silly. And then there was but like there was a certain amount of that I could accept. And then I remember a friend of mine, like years ago, I asked her if she wanted to come do Sketchfest. And she said, like, something, something can't unforch. Oh, my God. And I was like, I'm going to strangle no. her. Yeah. We're done. And now it seems funny to me. Like, <laughs> years later, now I'm like, that's actually pretty funny. That's yeah. awful. Like, it's great. But at the time, I was like, no, don't you do that. Yeah. No, and that's I terrible. Like I've adopted it. It's terrible. So now I must be in the ironic phase. Like, years but that's the later. Thing, like, that's the nature of language and culture is, like, yeah. Things get normalized. Yes. And so totally. the first time we see it, we hate it. Yeah. Or we don't understand it or whatever. And then, 
you know, little by little, everyone's in neon fanny packs. Yeah. And it's okay. That's right. Yeah. I'll tell you what I can't do, LOL. I've, I'm too old. Like, it happened... I am. I, I am, was too uh, old when when LOL was something, and so like my friends who are even like a year feels like younger than me, use it, and I feel like everyone I know who's my age or older refuses to do it and yeah. just will write ha 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 ha. Right. Like even though it takes longer, there's something about LOL that like there's a certain age cutoff I think where people are like I can't do it. I don't know. I can't do it. That makes me like you so much more. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I, so I've never sent an emoji or a yeah. uh, or that emojis. kind of abbreviation. Yeah. I've never in my life and will never. Yeah. Ja I don't know if James, he's a lot younger than James me. James looks like he might be an LOL. He doesn't send know. them to me. I don't know. See, I wonder. Okay. He might he doesn't send them to me, but he might send them to his girlfriend or yes. yeah. something like that. Yeah. That's facts. But you know. I, yeah. Well, there you go. You know your you got to know your audience. Exactly. I like but the look, emojis, though. no I like judgment. The faces. You do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, again, it seems so silly to me that like, well, also when emojis first became like just a thing that came with your iPhone, uh, my friend and I started playing a game where we would like do like four i. I'm sure everyone was doing this, but we would just do four icons. We would, like we would send four emojis to each other right. um, that represented a movie. Yeah, and then you know, so we would have to guess. I don't and, think like, anyone else oh, did. It was very fun. Uh, Nikki Glaser did that on her show. There was oh, a yeah. whole. A whole board of emojis, and people had to like decipher what they meant. Oh yeah, like, yeah, they meant yeah. Something like she had it all in emoji code. Yeah, um, no, it's funny. Like that's actually emojis are actually useful. Like there are things that take yeah. a whole sentence to say that, right? Yeah. But it's not. It's it's not for me. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to sit it. out. I get it. Well, that bit of utility. This should show you that I may not LOL, but I will emoji. So funny. Well, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Um, I'm so excited to finally talk to you. I know we've tried a couple times and it hasn't worked out. I know. I'm, I'm so glad it worked out. I felt terrible. It's the way it is. But, um, and I, I do have to say, how amazing of you to send cookies uh, when you wow. were sick and couldn't make it. Yeah. No one does that. By and the way, I still, I think I still have a residual post-nasal drip from oh that like yeah. that's how long yeah sure i've been holding on to whatever that cold was like it's been now in weeks and weeks coronavirus i think it's pronounced oh right coronavirus yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is good. what it is god i guess i was in china right before no <laughs> um yeah that how was the is show angry. in wuhan uh how was what how was your show in wuhan in that wuhan wonderful they love me in wuhan they i don't like they just get me you kill yeah i kill and i don't even do stand-up nice. so i'm not even sure what i'm doing up there <laughs> You know, I'm just talking about my feelings. Right. Yeah. Why not? It's great. How was um, Sketchfest? It was really good. So you produced the SF Sketchfest. Yeah. yeah, that's my... How many years? Oh, my God, 19. Oh, wow. I know. That's a long time. It's crazy. That is. Somehow I, like, skated through the rest of the teens, just being like, I don't know, whatever, that doesn't make me old. Yeah. And then we hit 19, and all of a sudden this year I was like... Ooh, like I was afraid to say the word because people. That right? are, yeah, the nicest compliment I get is people being like, "How old are you? Like, right. how is that possible?" Yeah, you don't look like you could have been doing something professionally for but nineteen years. At the end of the day, it has been nineteen years. So, yeah. and now we're like already. We try to take a breath, you know, after the festival ends. But I think this year we already feel the pressure of like, oh, twenty, oh no, like yeah, we really got to blow it special, out. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what that's gonna be. Um, 
at, at some point in there, do, are you like, I don't know, do we want to keep doing this? Is it, or, or is yeah. it just like, what, what's your headspace? Is that, are you just doing it forever? That's a great question. Um, what's the end game? I don't think we ever had an end game. Okay. Um, when we started, we were in college. Who did you start with? Uh, I started with, I was in a sketch group with okay. um, three other people. Uh, Gabe Diani, who actually is not a producer of Sketchfest because he went off to do this amazing one-man show while mm. we were sort of like, should we try to rent a theater or something for when he's done and we want to do our sketch show again? Um, but in San Francisco at the time, there just weren't many places to do sketch yeah. at all. Like, there was no UCB. There was no... And you were living there at the time? And I was there at SF State. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up finding a theater... That you know, you could rent a, the a small theater for a month, but no, no sketch group wants to do their show for a month. Like there's no, right. there's no value in that. You just know you're going to hate yourself by the end. Sure. So, uh, so we reached out to these like various different sketch groups that we had met over the kind of last year, year and a half that we had been performing in San Francisco. They were all wildly different from one another and had like totally different audiences, mm. and said, "Hey, would you guys?" be cool if like we sort of do all the work but do this as like a, a festival yeah and um and for some reason they were all like yeah well, let's do that and so we got to split up the time with them so that they every they all got to do their show but they all we all did like 45 minute shows and then we everyone got to pair with everyone else to kind mm -hmm. of expose our individual audiences to these other sketch groups um and you know the paper was like real excited about these scrappy kids who were putting together this festival so they did gave us a bunch of coverage and like nice. i remember robin williams came which when you live in san wow. francisco and do comedy yeah, sure. is like the utmost compliment yeah and uh and we ended up selling out the shows and stuff so we were like huh i guess maybe we should do this again uh and so the next year we went to like a theater twice the size which were still just 200 seats mm -hmm. um and then we kind of did like a outreach to people all over the country and stuff and said hey if you want to apply come you know we don't have any money but like we'll come play with us and san francisco's a great city so yeah. we had that going for us and then it's just grown from there you know now we have a great staff and um people who help us do the things that we used to do all of it i mean we mm -hmm. i would go like sure. change the toilet paper in the women's bathroom and then like sell some wash my hands then sell some tickets <laughs> And they'll be like, oh, shit, I got to go pick up Fred Willard at the airport. Like, it right. was very much, yeah, sure. we did it all. Yeah. And um, and that was exhausting. And to answer your question, which I was very long-winded about, um, I think we, I think every year, less so now, but for many years, there was always a feeling at some point in the year of like, oh, my God, are we really going to do this to ourselves again? Right. But I think there's a, I think the three of us are all really stubborn. Uh, David Owen and Cole Stratton are my partners. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where if you find the right partnership, and maybe this is, I'm sure this is true of marriage. I think it's true of bands who stay together. As long as not everyone at once is like, I'm done with this shit. Right. Like, then you'll get through it. Sure. You know, there was never a time at which, it's not like one. there was ever a time when one of us was like, I'm out of here, screw you guys. And we right. had to be like, no, no. But I think the I think that it was a situation where, like, at any given time, maybe one of us was, for whatever reason, like, this is so hard. And right. instead of leaning into that where 
you kind of take that, all of you take that on. I think we were really good with each other about being like, I know, but like when someone else is kind of in the dumps mm -hmm. about it, sure, yeah. we're better at kind of rising to the occasion and, and going like, I know, but like we have each other and like right. it always works out and we've, we're creating this legacy or whatever stories you tell yourself, yeah. you know? So we've, we've stuck with it. And, uh, and now it's like, well, we got to make it to 20. But do right. I think we'll yeah, quit after 20? Probably not. But yeah, we also don't not. have like someone knocking on a door going like, I want to buy your festival. <laughs> you is that, know, is that that's a, not happening. Is that a big market? Is that like you The acquisition festivals? of Sketch. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not more than Sketch now. But, um, yeah, you know, sometimes people get bought. I don't even know. I don't even know. I think it's, it seems like there's a possibility sometimes um, that, you know, like some comp like legendary could be like we want to have a mm -hmm. thing in the comedy space sure, of sure but um but like that's doesn't i don't think that's going to be a thing and i think even if it were it would be really hard for us to go okay here let's turn this into something corporate right you know yeah because it's still just us you seem pretty anti-corporate i think for that experience it would be really really hard to have to answer yeah to someone um because for the longest time we've just been putting what we think is funny in. And so it would be weird to suddenly sure. have, you know, like, well, we don't feel that fits the brand. You know, we, I think that would be very, very hard for us. Yeah, we've been sure. doing it so long. Of course. Yeah. I know some of you are using this time to get your freelance projects, uh, your side hustle, whatever, off the ground. So let's talk about finding freelance talent to help you with your business or project. You probably already learned that finding the right freelancer can be time consuming, frustrating, expensive. Uh, you got to figure out where to go to find talent, how much it'll cost, and how can you be certain they'll deliver. Thanks to Fiverr, finding the right freelancer doesn't have to be a struggle. We've used Fiverr many times over the years. Uh, their marketplace allows us to get more done with less. We're always hiring freelancers for uh, all type of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, all that kind of stuff. Fiverr gives us access to quality talent that we can count on. Finding talent for your project has never been easier. You can review seller ratings, buyer feedback, and select the right freelancer based on your budget. Take five and check out fiverr.com and you'll receive 10% off your first order by using my code rebelradio. It's so easy, don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going to fiverr.com, code rebelradio. Fiverr, it starts here. Do you, um, so you mentioned the, the partnership, do you guys have sort of clearly defined, you know, what, what your role is versus your partners or is it just a uh, free for all? Yeah, it's kind of a free for all. There's definitely departments that, again, it's sort of by default was a thing where I just kind of very early on, I think I was, was like, more interested if if looking at all of the stuff like what are my skills okay well I've been you know I'd worked as a project manager for a design firm and worked like in a uh, I, I did a bunch of accounting in, in this other job in this uh, like upscale home furnishing store um, okay. so I felt like at the beginning it was like well I can manage the budget with the help of my two partners my friend Cole was always m more sort of artistic and you know was like very um, detail-oriented about stuff like what the program was going to look like and you know t and and also my partner David was like that and he, and and then you know it just sort of organically grew where 
I kind of ended up, once we could hire more people, I was sort of in charge of the people who were then mm -hmm. booking the hotel and buying the plane tickets. And one of my other partners was in charge of kind of the design of everything. And then my other partner was kind of the liaison for tech and for marketing. And so it's kind of happened organically, but we still always apologize to the staff because it is like a three-headed monster. Sure. Like there are definitely things where I'm 100% sure that without knowing it, we give different answers. Right. So we always say like, please tell us yeah. if you're getting two different answers because sure. we may not know that. And like, we, I, the idea of having someone tell you one thing and the, someone, I mean, as a worker, that would make me crazy. And it, yeah. does, it has made me crazy, you know? You're like, but it, of no course, yeah. it, you know? Yeah, partnerships are hard. They're really hard. And um, so, you know, you mentioned bands and yeah, I've, I've known a lot of bands who, you know, they hate each other yeah. after a while or they or they they break up right as they've gotten famous because suddenly they realize sure. like oh shit we made it we're stuck with each other right. and then something just implodes absolutely yeah, yeah and it's it's i mean i i could there's a long version of like what a terrible path that is to you know for for all the right reasons yeah um, <laughs> uh, but i worked i used to work with lincoln park and they had a really interesting setup where they had formed these committees Oh, wow. And so... That's not a word I ever would have associated with Lincoln Park. They are really organized. Yeah. And very, like, it runs, I mean, it, it's a business. Yeah, that's um, great. And, yeah, not what you'd expect from, you know, a bunch of rockers. Yeah. But, uh, but like, you know, so the there was the, you know, one guy was in charge of all the visuals. One guy was in charge of the money. Yeah. Um, you know, these other things. And we would have these conversations... And they would often say, well, I don't agree, but that's not my area. So I'm going to go with whatever yeah. the, the majority or, or whatever the person in charge. And I think that's so important because yeah. you're not always going to agree. Yeah. And then it's like, well, then what? Yeah. No, it's true. And I think also there's something to be said for like, I'm one of my, this is a, feels grossly name droppy because oh, cool. I'm proud to be close with him but also like it's been such a long time that we've been close that I'm also like this, this, please don't think this is me like hey hey also if you're not a sketch comedy fan this will mean nothing to you oh, but uh, I was a huge fan of Kids in the Hall uh -huh. um, when the show was on and, and saw them and stuff and then um, by virtue of doing the festival and then ha being down here and like auditioning for stuff I ended up uh, working with Bruce McCullough really early on when I first came down here and we just became really close friends and I'm you know I love his family and they just moved to Canada and it's been really hard but um, but that's a situation where you know they you can really see the once you sort of know the dynamics and they're very upfront about it but like the arc of their relationship together as as bandmates because mm -hmm. that's essentially yeah. what they are yeah. it absolutely was like love each other young rebellious kind of always argue and then like oh my god this is so hard and insufferable and then we stuck it out and now we love each other and we're family yeah you know that's and i think that's something that I think, I mean, honestly, that's my advice for any band or any group of people who have come together to make a thing, who are creative and temperamental or sensitive, even if you're not temperamental, it's sure. like, yeah. you know, it's your yeah. blood, sweat and tears that are going into these things is allow for the possibility that it, like a marriage, it will be hard at times, mm -hmm. but the longer you stick it out, if you are working through your stuff, um, you come like you it, for me my relationship has only gotten better with my partners and that is not because we always got along and everything's right. always been golden yeah. it's it is because we survived 
arguments and misunderstandings and disagreements and all of that kind of stuff that now, you know, they feel like my brothers. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they don't want to, you know, hit me over the head with something sometimes and I don't feel the same. Sure. But like I would take a bullet for them. And mm -hmm. that is something that you don't necessarily see when you're younger. You don't see the end game of that. Um, yeah, of course. You feel like, oh, it's just going to get, like, if it feels like it's getting hard right now, it's only going to get more difficult and right. I should just, you know, bail out now versus like, oh no, like you end up feeling like you grow so much through that conflict and, mm -hmm. um, and I love them now. Like I love them on such a deep level where like I get emotional thinking about it, but it's because we've been through so much trauma, yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I mean, I think relationships have to be tested. Absolutely. And otherwise they don't count, but we don't think of that way when we start a business or when we start sure. a band, we certainly don't, you know, we, we're, we're attracted to people for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, I'm reading this book right now that's just about how everything we think is wrong, is totally wrong. Oh, really? And, uh, it's everything, everything? What's it, what is it? I mean, not in the like weird, like, yeah. uh, metaphysical, like, right, this like is our all reality simulation is stuff. Not, a reality. not that. Yeah. Um, it's some guy who probably doesn't know what he's talking about. He's like a Nobel Prize winning uh -huh, just some economist. Uh, Dan Kahneman. Uh -huh. And the book's called Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, okay. And it's about how we make decisions and just about how they're all wrong. Does that, how does that compare with, like, did you read Blink? Yeah, so uh -huh. Blink is the pop version yeah. of this. Oh, I get it. For so, dummies. Got it. Well, so okay. I, it's funny, I have this ongoing argument about Malcolm Gladwell. He's a fantastic writer. Um, he, I don't want to speak for his intent, but he writes as though he cares more about the story than the facts. Mm, and so a lot of his stuff is kind of factually wrong but it makes sense, uh, and there's like value. It's a they're fables. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. He wouldn't say that, right? But the, I just figured that out on this show. Oh, a moment of brilliance right on Rebel they're Radio. Fables. Yeah, you they're fables, here. right? So he yeah. takes things and kind of pieces them together yeah. in ways that teach us important lessons. Yeah. But so Blink is an example where he took some research from this guy and some other people and uh -huh. kind of just uh, uh, mainstreamed it. Okay. And you made it into like a delicious breakfast cereal. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you don't know that there's um, kale in there. <laughs> that's right. Um, well, no, it's the other way. Like, I don't have a good analogy for it, but, <laughs> but you, there's a great... You, you could tap out after its fables. There's I think a great podcast. Inspired. And now I can't remember, so this is good radio. Um, <laughs> where uh, the guy, the host, pits Malcolm Gladwell against the guy who did the research that was the basis of outliers. Okay, sure. And basically the, saying, no, he got it completely wrong. Like Whoa. that's not what, it, I didn't say it takes 10,000 hours. Oh my the, God. That's not how it works. How about that? Yeah, it's funny. Interesting. So, but I still love Gladwell because he, A, he tells great stories yeah. and they're fun to read and B, like there is, he gets us thinking about important things. Sure. Um, so I probably wouldn't have read this other book if I hadn't read Blink. But everything you're saying, and now maybe I'm trying to make myself sound smarter, but everything you're saying also harkens back to like what other scientists said about Carl Sagan. I don't right? know what they said about Carl Sagan. So a lot of people who were sort of behind the scenes yeah. winning the Nobel Prizes and, you know, not focusing on f public facing stuff and sure. really just working the science um, would either positive or negative. Like some of them would say, you know, oh, he's just taking all of our information oh, and, I see what you and, mean. and yeah. spitting it back out and maybe it's not accurate or he's trying to make it too friendly. Right. Um, but then on the upside of that, exactly what you said about Malcolm Gladwell, which is whether or not he's like 
you know, um, diluting it a little bit or he's trying to put it into a package that a younger person could understand or right. care about, totally. that there's a place for that as well. And that's yeah. what it sounds like you're saying to me about no, Gladwell. I, like, there's a place for this, there's a place for this. Absolutely. But it might be good to know both. It just depends on the intent, right? Yeah. If, you, if you're going to really use it to shape your life yeah. and the decisions you make and whatever, then you probably should do more than just read a bestseller. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, and that's actually one of, the, one of the ways that our brains play tricks on us. Is, um, it's, called a, it's called we assume that what we see is all there is. Yeah. Right. So, so I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good example, but, um, but if you see a bunch of people in these sweatshirts, you're going to just assume that that's a popular sweatshirt. Right. Maybe we're the only people in the world that have them. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Um, and so we make these decisions based on not enough information, yeah. but our brains tell us that we have enough information. Yeah. And so instead of the, the rational or the right response is to say I need to go learn more before I make a decision right so we don't do that yeah um, so anyway I'll keep talking about this topic. with you all day yeah no are we off topic because no, I'll go uh, right talk about whatever you because want. that reminded me of something else that I just oh, listened yeah? to tell me which is uh, oh god I, of course now I can't remember his name so again really really good uh, interviewing going on right now but um, this does get now. This does not get into the metaphysical in that the scientists and mathematicians behind this work would say, "Go f yourself." This is not in any way, you know, sure. this is not metaphysical. But yeah. there's this whole conversation happening about reality and consciousness mm-hmm. and what constitutes consciousness and what creates it. And scientists who say, like, ah, it's just a byproduct of our brains. Right. It's totally incidental. It's meaningless. And then there are other people who are saying that's very lazy. Just because we can't explain it right. doesn't mean that we should dismiss it. And so there's okay. this idea of like, uh oh, we go in there. <laughs> there's this there's a scientist who again, I'm not I don't necessarily agree with him, but just in terms of what's interesting. Yeah. The reason I thought of it with this idea of seeing the sweatshirt or this idea of not having all the information is that he likens and it's flawed, but it's an interesting way of thinking, but he sort of likens how we perceive reality as like a computer interface. Like mm-hmm. you see what is you see what your brain can handle, sure. you know, because we're the species that is constantly getting all of the stimuli. And in order to survive, we have to oversimplify things and label Absolutely. things and box things so yeah. that we can continue to exist uh, as organisms. But that there's this idea of, you know, for everything you see, it's almost like seeing a mailbox icon. Like when you look at that envelope on your computer screen, you know that's not your mail. You know right. that that represents so much information behind it sure it's just a way of interfacing with it yeah so that's a whole other thing but it's a really interesting it's it's an interesting way of thinking and it's an interesting idea i think it is interesting and i think the the point that i take from it is like you know you can't be an expert on everything you can't investigate everything sometimes you just have to leave the mailbox icon unopened yeah um but that we we can be deliberate about which things we we dig deeper into right and um, and so there's the you know we should be making those kind of decisions of like well what is the cost of me being wrong about this right or what is the you know how easy is it for me to get more information how bad is it going to be if I'm wrong like right. those things should determine whether we dig deeper yeah and but what um, do you think but what then, but now we're living in an era where all we can talk about at least as a nation is like what information is even real sure. 
Um, although, yeah, no, that's a big problem. Um, although I also think, you know, that's, that's some people that understand Blink really well. Yeah. Right. That, uh, meaning a lot of what's not real is easy to uncover. Right. Like this is all deep fake. Like they've just taken our faces. Sure. And this is two people who aren't us talking. Right. But the technology and software is there. So. Yeah. But, um, for the, there are exceptions certainly. Yeah. But for the most part, you could, you could uncover that. Right. You could find out that it's not real. Yeah. Um, you know, I found myself, I was at, a, at an event and I got a text that Kobe had died. Mm. And, um, and my first reaction was like, I looked up, you know, I went to, I went to TMZ and I went yeah. to, you know, Google and tried to see, is that real? Right. Because... It could easily be a hoax. Yeah. And um, I don't think I did that, you know, I don't know who the last person was, but I don't think I did that 10 years ago. Right. Like you just get some news and you assume yeah. that it's real. I wonder and if it's, but did you do that when like David Bowie died? No. What do you think the difference is? Because that was old. recent. That's it. I think because that's what I'm, the, 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 and I, and I, a I didn't get a text like, set of oh my God, David Bowie died. Yeah. Like, you know I, I mean? did. Do okay. you know what I mean? I got yeah. both. Fair enough. But I think there's something really, really specific about Kobe and who he was and what he represented and this, and this set of circumstances yeah. that, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was... Or Prince. That was like, that shocked people. Sure. But it wasn't... I was just talking about this with someone. Like, the idea of people who are... Someone like Prince or someone like David Bowie, it's easy because they're both musicians, but they have this enormous legacy of work yeah. that you can separate from the person. Sure. Whereas like, and yes, they were older, but, but when it's someone like Kobe who sort of represents vitality, represents athleticism, represents Absolutely. life, and, and it's in his body and flowing through his veins, yeah. and you don't, it's not, you don't think about just something like, oh, a painting he did as separate. It's like him right. as a presence. I think that was one of those things that yeah. was just blew us all away. It was a sense of like, oh my God, like mortality is, be, is punching us in the face right now in such right. a profound way. I find that so interesting. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I'm noticing my own reactions to different deaths mm. and there's a lot that I just don't care about. And I don't mean that in any, you know, not, I'm not saying that to be mean to those yeah. people, but, um, I think in general, I have a sort of detachment. Like, I understand we're all going to die. You know, on some level that sucks, but it also doesn't. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. And, um, and I think we'd all be better off if we were more okay with that. Oh, for sure. Included, but Our that culture doesn't mean... can't I- I- accept that at all. Sure. Yeah. And um, so sometimes I find out that someone died, either a family member or a famous person or whatever, and I'm like... Okay, like I, you know, other than for a second of awe, and then I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Um, and then Kobe, who like I don't really care that much about. Um, I'm a Warriors fan more than a Lakers fan, mm-hmm. and I'm and I I have massive respect for him and yeah. and you know what he stands for and what he accomplished and all that. But um, but for whatever reason, I was like more bummed out about that than some other people that I had assumed I would care more about. Yeah. Do you think that it was also just like that he was not alone and there's the, a lot of tragedy surrounding like maybe people? I don't know. Yeah. Life. I mean, I think how how we die is so important. Um, like in the, 
in terms of people's attachment to it, mm -hmm. right? Like the same book, um, you know, they talk about the, uh, the media's overemphasis of, on terrorism, mm -hmm. which kills very few people right. in the scheme of things, right. right? Even, it says, even in Israel, more people die in car accidents than they do sure. from terror attacks in yeah. Israel, I guess. It's hard to beat car uh, accidents, man. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but because it's being done to us, mm -hmm. and there's a villain, right, or a perpetrator, or whatever, yeah. right? Like, it's a sexier story. It is, right? And so the media latches onto that, and there's, all, there's profit motive for them. There, but, but even without the profit motive, right? right? Because there's no profit motive for us as consumers of that, right. and yet we want to talk about a terror attack much more than we want to talk about, you know, my dad lives in China, so I'm talking to him about the coronavirus. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I have a mask. You know, I'm, I mean, he's, he's kind of holed up in his apartment. Um, but he's like, also don't forget the flu is killing way more people than the coronavirus and yeah. no one cares. Yeah. Right. And so some of that, from his perspective, some of that is, um, what's it called? Xenophobia. Mm -hmm. Because it's over there in China, and we're afraid they're gonna oh for sure bring it here. I mean, it's a perfect time. Yeah, for this yeah, yeah. administration With to be the like, trade war exactly. We told you totally. Yeah, yeah. I know that's a that was an ugly set of circumstances and timing. You're like, oh great. Yeah. Enjoy exploiting at this as well. Like, of course. Oh, okay. But you know, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, it makes sense. It's the same. I mean, it's not. We like things that feel like they're exotic. Yeah. Because it makes us feel safer. Mm -hmm. Even though we're terrified of it happening, right. there's also the reverse effect of like, secretly we know, I think, that the chances are still, but no one wants to think about dying when they get in their car because they need to drive. You know, you tell yourself like, well, I got to drive to work every day. I, you tell I, yourself you know, that. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, you tell yourself for sure. Right. It's like a comfort. But to say like, well, it would be, it would change my whole lifestyle to stop driving. No, but. Yes, and. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so there's that bomb in the train station in London. Right. Whenever that happened yeah. some years ago. Yeah. And like, so what happened for the next six months is people didn't take the train as much. They drove more and more people died in I'm car sure. accidents than they did in the yeah. bombing. Yeah. The law of unintended consequences, maybe. Yeah. And just this like, uh, um, it's called the availability bias, right? Mm. It's because... We can so easily think of something right. that we assume that it's more likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, so to your point, like, yeah, people, but they don't really have to drive. They can take the train, for except sure. for they've just told themselves a story that that's more dangerous. Yeah. So then they go die in a car. Yeah. Yeah, cars are fucked up. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, if you're not in a car and you're choosing some alternate form of transportation, you better be on public transit because like it's no safer to ride a bike or like walk places because sure not with people also driving. cars yeah. yeah because again cars support for rebel radio comes from the capital one walmart rewards card with the capital one walmart rewards card you'll earn unlimited five percent back at walmart online you'll also earn two percent in walmart stores at restaurants and on travel and one percent everywhere else when you want all that, you need the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One NA. So I want to talk about you. Yeah. No, you, right. I think you're way more interesting than Kai. Yeah. Um, do you remember your first time on stage? 
On stage, yes. Like in front of a crowd? And yeah. I, th I mean... Did you kill? Well, I was playing Snow White awesome. in first grade. And you're like, nailed it. And I nailed it. I yeah. had to get, you know, it was, a, it was a magnet school, but it was a public school. It's not like there was money for costumes or sets or anything, really. Right. Yeah, public school. So I so. had like some sort of, you know, like a, like a wig that you would buy at like a Goodwill. Mm. Just like an old ratty brown wig. And then I was, you know, had little white hair bangs. You were Snow White. That were sticking yeah. out from under this brown wig. No one was like, let's just, I'm gonna just pin these. So it, I think I had the classic, like, little kids putting on a play yeah. vibe that probably the adults were like, we gotta let those bangs show. <laughs> like, that's what the people want. The sure. people wanna be like, oh. Um, and I, you know, I, that was the first time I can remember having, be, like, being given an opportunity other than just, like, kids putting on a, a weird show for their parents, right. like, kind of thing. And you were not in San Francisco at that I time? I was not. I was in Tucson. I'm okay. from Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why, even because that was when I was five years old, I don't know why that felt like a thing that was recognizably attractive because now mm. I look at children that age and like for sure they have strong points of view and like they are who they are but there's also a part of me that's like geez like somebody was felt like she had a calling like right. what's going on there um and, that, and was that you or you were I guess I mean I thought it's what I wanted to do for a long time and then at some point I I like turned a serious corner where I became wildly pragmatic and was just like this is preposterous like I'm not going to no one, the, 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 the odds are like astronomical. I'm not sure. going to succeed. This is stupid. I want to be able to like have a life yeah. and not worry about money and not resent uh, like something I'm passionate about because it's not allowing me to put food on the table or whatever. And so there, I just walked away. Was that like, because, was that in reaction to a, a moment or a, something that happened? I don't think so. I mean, I started. Or you just woke up one day and you're like, well, screw that. Yeah. I mean, it really was like the older I got. This is school for me. Well, what, the older I got, even in. High school, maybe if I had gone to the performing arts magnet school that a lot of my friends did, um, I would have felt more connected to it. But, you know, I went to a school that was a shared campus with like a college prep school and you could take those classes. And um, the theater department was very small and kind of shabby and not very well run. And right. there was a lot of just like people just took theater because it was like a, a class. Yeah. that you could everyone yeah, yeah, knew like you could like talk around and yeah. yeah there was barely anything going on yeah um and but so by the time i went to and then for college um you know i did well academically well enough that i was offered a state scholarship like anywhere in the state yeah. of arizona so i applied to a bunch of colleges across the west coast um and then i got into all of them and then i was like i can't afford any of this like there was no no one was saying sure. like, it's not like i was in the chess club like I was not one of those kids who was really ambitious. Right. I just did well in the limited stuff that I was doing. Yeah. Um, and and so I, by then I really was, I was like, what am I doing? I'm not gonna take out financial aid for an acting degree, but also I don't know what else to study. Right. Um, so I went, I took my scholarship to Northern Arizona University, which was the furthest away from Tucson that I could get and still get an in-state scholarship. Mm -hmm. And it was in the mountains, which is beautiful, and I hate hot weather. So it was a very pragmatic decision there. Good thing you live in L.A. then. Good thing, yeah. I mean, I love San Francisco weather. That's oh, actually wow. my jam. I moved away from San Francisco. Yeah, I love it. I love fog and, like, moody. If you grow up with just cicadas 
and 113 degrees for yeah, the first okay, 17 years of your life, sure. it feels wonderful to be like bundled up in a sweater, you right. know? I mean, I didn't want to move to like Minnesota. I'm not crazy in terms of like, suddenly right. I wanted to freeze every winter. Sure. But for me, San Francisco was like, you know. For and me, San Francisco just... weather was about um, standing there in what seemed like midnight, but it was 7.30 in the morning yeah. in wet, sloppy uh, weather waiting for the bus to yeah. go to school. I get it. And you never have the right clothes because they're... For sure. There just isn't. It's yeah. not cold enough. Or, you're never prepared. Yeah, it's yeah. just wrong. So I anyway, still love it. That's though. my own. But it's true. You're not nonsense. like my perception of my the climate where I was was also true. Even though people sure. also are like, oh, I love such a desert rat. Yeah, I love yeah, that dry yeah. heat. Totally. Um, so you're not wrong. And there are certainly times in San Francisco where I'm like, oh my god, this right. sucks. Yeah. But overall, that's my preferred weather. Um, and so when I'm, I I quit school, moved to San Francisco. Um, much more interested in being in San Francisco than anything I had cared about to that point. Like, okay. didn't care what I did, just wanted to be in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so then I, you know, then I was gonna just like pursue a whole different degree, which I was gonna do like architecture and interior design and stuff. And then I found out that at SF State that fell under the home economics degree. Awesome. I would have had a degree in home ec. That I is. Like, I can't do it. That's I can't very, do it. I cannot do this. So I went back to theater because that's where I had credits. Right. But it was all very sort of like, uh, you know, it wasn't like, and then I'll be a star. I can't believe they still had a home. They can't still have a home economics. I degree. hope not. I mean, that there's, that's you amazing. can't, there's just too much stigma. Like, sure. you got to walk away from that. Yeah, it's not very woke. Yeah, it's not very woke. And a lot of stuff fell under that too. It was oh, like, yeah? oh no, nice. yeah. Just felt like everything, like yeah, just so many things. That, that, like no one is going, none of these like principal studies, no one is going to want that umbrella. Right. So. That's hilarious. Yeah, so I was very like, so people I know who have known me, you know, who knew me when I was in junior high are like, I always knew you were gonna. Really? And I'm like, no, there was like 10 years where I was so. Sure. Just like, I scoffed at the idea of being in entertainment, you know. And do you think that was, I mean, you described that as a very practical decision. Do you, do you think it was, or do you think it was a bit of, you know, resistance? Yeah, I think it was both. I think it was the fear of what if I, what if the thing I'm most afraid of is true, which is that I can't make a living doing it. And, uh, you know, I think it's very common for a lot of people, maybe in other disciplines too, but certainly doing this kind of stuff to have imposter syndrome, to feel like, oh, sure. at some point, someone's gonna realize I'm garbage. It's true you in most know? things. Right? Yeah. So, um, so I think there was definitely that. I think there was a, a definitely a feeling of like, um, I, I was much more, I think, uh, a kid and a person who felt good being pretty okay at stuff I tried right away. Mm-hmm. And then if I was bad at it, I just thought, I'm, this isn't for me, I'm not right. good at this. Rather than, really being encouraged to try and fail at stuff. Was there something that you really wanted to be good at that you didn't get there with? Um, it's not so much that. I think my, I, my mom and I are very similar in that she wanted to be an astronomy major and then she started taking the math classes and sure. she just couldn't make sense of it and right. it has nothing to do with gender it's just that you know she's yeah, a phd and is you know extraordinarily smart but yeah um and that in that way i'm not like my mom but uh 
But sim I think something similar, like there were things that I would bump up against. I really liked the sciences. Um, I couldn't, like I've always been very good at, you know, writing and language. My dad's an English teacher. Um, my mom was a French professor. That stuff all felt very comfortable to me. I could never, and I've said this before, and it sounds, I realize it sounds so stupid, and it probably sounds extra stupid to people who are, you know, who have either a natural talent or have worked hard to become really smart uh, and, and as far as math goes, but mm -hmm. I couldn't, it, it was inconceivable to me that you could come up with an answer, but it could be wrong. Right. That seemed so unfair. Yeah. Like in my mind, what's fair is you go through a process, right. and if you and if you're, you're wrong, you can't done. finish it. Right. You're like, oh, I'm not, I can't get there. I don't know. But to go through this whole thing and be like, it's 17, and then you know, see the big red mark and go, right. but I, I worked on it. Yeah. I, that's how. See, this was my process. See how I got there. How can sure. that be wrong? It's like, well, you just did it. You you did it wrong. Yeah. Here are the five ways in which you did this wrong. Yeah. That was terrifying to me, and it still is. When I'm working on something to do with our budget, and I and I get the wrong answer, and I always double check my work because mm -hmm. it's not something oh, yeah, I have totally. an aptitude for necessarily. I've gotten good at it because I've had to, but I still have this little kid feeling where I'm like, "But I did what?" Well, yeah, I get it, uh, and I, it's interesting because now as a as a father, you know, I'm, I teach math, right? Yeah, and uh, along with everything else, yeah. By the way, English, worst language. I know, it's so terrible for anyone it's to so learn who horrible. is not and born I, into and it. And I didn't realize that until I was yeah. teaching a, a little guy to speak. Oh, yeah. And it's just it's nothing. It's crazy. Nothing there's makes all, any yeah, sense. there's like zero rules. It's terrible. Or too many rules. Yeah, that don't, too many rules that and too many exceptions. with each other. Yeah. And uh, so, but math, um, what I've come to understand is, you know, anyone can be great at math. Um, there's certainly no gender difference, which, you know, I think a lot of people were sort yeah. of taught maybe unintentionally. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think we were raised that way for sure. But there's also like what there, what happens, I think, is that math is taught a certain way that works well for some people better than others. Yeah. And so, so much of it has to do with the way that it's instructed or learned. Yeah. That, you know, um, but I actually like the, uh, the, what you're saying. I, I like the fact that there's a right and wrong answer. Yeah. Because it's one of the few areas in life where that is, you know, just very clear. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. I just wish that I, no, no, I get could it. get there yeah, faster. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so was there a moment when you realized or decided you'd come back to, to acting and, and comedy and was like, this is my life now? Yeah. Um, no, there wasn't any one moment, I guess that's a, that's like me taking that question very literally because for most of us there isn't that like, wait a minute, like, wait, 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 hold on. Well, for sometimes, sometimes there's a big break. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or sometimes there's a like, um, you know, I've had, uh, comedians on the show and, and it's like, they go out the first night and they murder it. Yeah. And then they're like, yes. Uh, got it. Right? Fair. Fair. And then the next totally night fair. they bomb, right? And then, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um. God, I can't imagine being a stand-up. Um, me neither. Uh, like yeah. Torture. Well, okay. So for me, there wasn't one um, because I backed. I backed into it. Yeah. It was like, you know, I can, I can, sh I can, I can show little moments where, you know, like in San Francisco. I don't know if this is true anymore, but there was this 
um, preponderance of like because there are so many uh, not just tech firms but just like a lot of different businesses yeah. that um, originated there that have their HQs there like yeah. William Sonoma which is pottery Levi's right. like Cliff Bar mm -hmm. there is and because Gap. it's cosmopolitan Gap because it's cosmopolitan um, there and because these companies like figure out how to um, sort of hack the system, there's this preponderance of real people casting mm -hmm. that was happening there, especially for print, because a person probably doesn't have to like be an actor right. if they're just like posing on a cereal box sure. for Kashi. Uh, Is that what you did? Uh, well, so I was, so I started getting scouted. Like uh -huh. I would, you know, I happened to work in areas where these casting right. scouts would be like, hey, you, you could be in this thing. Can, can I take your picture? And like, then you can show up for this callback or whatever. So it was like, everything just had to, they had, someone would walk up to me uh -huh. and say, hey, here's this thing. Yeah. And then, so I ended up like doing some commercials because of that. And then someone like, <laughs> they were shooting Gattaca, mm -hmm. which had Uma Thurman. Mm -hmm. Someone stopped me and said, have you ever done stand-in work? I did not do stand-in work, but they were like, "Hey, I have this. I'm. I have this extras agency. You know, they were like, we need. We're looking for a, a like a double for Uma Thurman. We're shooting this movie. You're the right yeah. height. You're the right size." And I didn't do that because that sounded really depressing. Like it felt like, "Oh, I'll be so close to the thing right. that like I thought I wanted yeah, to yeah, do, yeah, and 100% yeah, yeah, sure. will not be taken seriously." Right. But at that, but like I did end up like going and doing a couple of extra jobs for TV shows that shot there because I was looking for work and. Yeah. So there was just a lot of like reluctant backing in, and that includes the sketch comedy stuff. When I was at SF State, the friends of mine, uh, whom I've now known for you know twenty years, were wanted to form a sketch group and totally like cajoled me into doing it. I was like, I don't do comedy, uh -huh. I don't write, I don't like I you sounds know, perfect. I'm not yeah, I'm not this person. I don't have any improv background, um, and so. I really, you know, they were so encouraging and they were like, you are this person. Like you may not think, you may not have pursued being this person, but like you inherently are this person. So right. just get over here, Yeah. you know? And, and so that sort of became what it was. Um, so it was just a lot of, I mean, I wish I could say like, I was so driven and I da 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 da. Um, but I really, f I kind of fought it yeah. all the way up to moving down here. I wow. fought it. Um, and then at some point over time, I did. Ha I mean, I guess when I moved down here is certainly a moment that was a long time coming yeah. where I finally said, wow, I'm ready to be down here and I'm ready to take on the fear that comes along with getting paid to do something that just seems like fun. Mm. And what is it going to look like when in the moments when it's not fun? Like we were talking about with, you know, being in a band, which sure. I also did, which was also like a performative right? thing. Yeah, I was like a lead singer and a rhythm guitarist in this band. What's um, the band? Uh, we had two different names. Okay. I stand by the first name in that there is now a band, not widely known, but that has done fairly well for itself, Blood Orange. Oh, uh, okay. Don't know why. Could not tell you why we picked that name. Second Wait, name. That was that was our same name. Same band or, or totally different band. Same name. Got it. But the name was the same. Oh, you should sue them. Maybe I will. Yeah, get that money. Get, get that, that blood orange. Get money. that beautiful indie rock. That's right. No one knows who they are. Money. Yeah. Um, and then the second, uh, the second name when we ditched that one was Mind the Gap. Oh, cool. Because our bassist was British. <laughs> okay. And she was really excited about sure. using a Britishism. But uh, 
but yeah, so when I, when I made the decision to move down here, that was definitely a moment of, fuck, I'm really gonna, I hope it's okay that I'm cursing. No. Um, cursing. Uh, of like, okay, well, now I'm, now this is real. Like, I had been sleeping on a friend's couch. Right. And it all felt so, like, not adult because I'd had these jobs where mm -hmm. I was like going to trade shows and writing purchase orders and like calling vendors. And then suddenly my only job was like driving across town in like a short skirt mm -hmm. and saying words and then potentially getting a paycheck if it I went far job. enough, right? The old, yeah. the old short skirt routine. For sure. Yeah. Um, so that, so, you know, and then, and then you do find out that like it's insanely silly that you get to be a child and play act and do all of the the stuff that everyone perceives as being really fun and easy and then there's also like a lot of really hard stuff that you know it's that there's is it am i a, a surgeon saving lives no way but is it emotionally taxing they also kill people too yeah think about yeah, it that surgeons way. um but you know it's it's still yeah. hard it's yes. still hard and it sure. and it tests you and all of those kinds of things um, so, but after, you know, after a few jobs, it was definitely the feeling of like, oh God, little me was right. Damn it. Is that right? This feels great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I've been super lucky. Um, and I think some of that stuff was foundational. It wasn't like on a lark. I decided to suddenly become an actor that mm -hmm. was all in there from a very early age. Yeah. But, um, and I've certainly had like tons of heartbreak and all that, but undeniably, like I've also been very lucky to just, you know, be in the right place at the right time. Or, you know. That's what it takes. Yeah. If you're enjoying this one, let's go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Uh, check out my episode with Milana Vintrube, another talented comedic actress. If you don't know Milana, um, she's known as the AT&T girl in, in the AT&T commercials. She had a really funny YouTube series kind of early on in YouTube called Let's Talk About Something More Interesting. She's a guest on This Is Us and on Silicon Valley. And um, she didn't let me interview her. She decided to interview me. And I think it was a fun, uh, fun episode. Check that one out. It's interesting, you, you know, you talk about that environment. So I, w I went to Performing Arts High School where in San Francisco. Oh, oh, in San Francisco. So, yeah, yeah, so I really went to school with Aisha Tyler gotcha. um, and Margaret Cho and Sam sure. Rockwell. And I found out Aya Cash went to our yeah. same, I've learned on your show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She went to the same school. I'm obviously much older, but um, I was not in the Performing Arts part of that school. There was like a ghetto high school uh, that had a yeah, Performing yeah, yeah. Arts add-on. Yeah. And, um, but we were around those kids. And, uh, you know, you talk about that environment of just like the enthusiasm and the, the uh, just people knowing that they're going to grow up to be famous or yeah. or whatever. It's, it's, an, it's definitely an interesting, like as an outsider, it's an interesting thing to kind of be around. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that because yeah. I didn't even like I I didn't there were like opportunities in Tucson that I didn't pursue at all like you know there yeah. were like community theater or like there were little agents I remember this kid that I went to school with was like on a Nickelodeon sitcom that was shooting there and uh and that was never like it was just kind of school stuff for me and no one anywhere in my world was 
like this could be me. You know, right. it wasn't San Francisco. It wasn't. Yeah. You know, I sure. didn't have anyone around. I mean, it's not that, that kind of showed, like, like, really unless possible. you live here. Like, yeah, you don't see that. Yeah. For the most part. But those, you know, the people you listed in San Francisco, like, I definitely believe that there are those high schools where people are. Sure. That isn't there aren't. You know, it's not like you're going to crossroads, but like. Right. That, that people are like, yeah, this is real. This is a real thing that could happen for me. Yeah. You know? And that's like worlds away from how I felt. Yeah. It's interesting to see. Um, was there a, a role, because now you've done a ton of TV and create your own show. And, mm. um, and uh, was there a role when like, you know, people started recognizing you on the street or, or when you started to feel like, I don't want to say that you've made it because it's probably not the way to describe it. Yeah, I don't know how everyone has such a different on a di on any different day. You right. can yeah, you know, sure. you can be like, huh, I'm a piece of you know, and then on other days, like I'm so ah. Right. Um, well, when I when I got the the Legend of Korra part, like that was externally someone saying like this will change yeah your experience of your own career. So it's easier when someone just says, like, sure. get ready, um, because but then, then you self-fulfill that. And you know what I mean? Like, sure. there's an element of that, too, where you're like, well, I guess I'm noticing now that right. the things are different. But it's hard to it's hard to argue with, like, the difference between, you know, being at the Atlanta airport and someone being like, I'll watch you on dinner in a movie, which is adorable and wonderful and like uh -huh. such a treat yeah. to, you know, walking into this like previously established beloved you know show that was the first series um last airbender yeah. and so because they this second show came in with all of those people you know doing the first comic-con that i ever did was san diego and it was in this hall of five thousand fans mm -hmm. so going from you know the occasional this and that to right. like walking into a wall of sound sure was definitely one of those moments where i couldn't i mean i couldn't I didn't know how to process that. It was it was completely overwhelming. Yeah. And it's not like they were there for me, but you could tell yourself that. But they were all there for me. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say without sounding like a jerk. No. Uh, no, I mean they you know, that was that they were there because that that because Brian and, and Mike, the creators of the shows, had, you know, done an amazing job with the first series. But I was but I became a part of that, um, in a way that I you know, that I I cannot say didn't change my life, you know. Yeah. It did. Yeah. Um, well, I learned about you from You're the Worst, uh, Great. which I so love. Much fun to be on. I love that show. I, I, I describe it to people too. as like a, it's like an R-rated Seinfeld. Yeah. That's it's a like great, yeah, I've never heard that before, people but that is like, very apt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really fun and uh, sort of like had way more fun watching it than I kind of expected to. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, we gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like your podcast. Oh, thanks. The JV Club. Yeah. Um, why? So tell me about that. You, there's like over 300 episodes. That's so nuts. It's crazy. I know. I can't believe it. I just. So you like doing things for a really long period of time. I'm, I'm learning. I think I will just keep doing something until someone pulls the plug. Apparently. Like that's pretty much. Yeah, you don't give up. Yeah, I'll just keep doing it. You um, don't know when to quit. I don't know when to quit. Right. It's, I'm, it's, mus it's muscle memory. <laughs> um, um, so why do you do yeah. that? Uh, it, when I started it, which now has been like eight years ago, I guess, or something, um, 
there were, I, I remember, it seems funny now, because I remember feeling like, oh, everyone has a podcast, which right. was so not true. Right. Now everyone Compared really does now, have a podcast. Yeah, sure. um, but there weren't as many women in podcasting. There weren't as many women guests in podcasting, particularly mm. in comedy. But I also, I think, was going through my own kind of rebellion against um, the snark of comedy, which is something I'm very comfortable living in. And like, I love being snarky. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I myself was sort of hungry for like sincere conversation and like something that felt like if I wanted to talk about my real life feelings, that it wouldn't be... Um, verboten in the in in a comedy context yeah so that for me that was like it just it sort of came together really quickly because i was like i feel like los angeles is high school mm -hmm. um i feel like i'm not hearing as many women's voices which i never thought of myself i mean i was very much like the girl who had tons of guy friends and a couple of close girlfriends mm -hmm. um so I would not have thought of myself as being the person that's like, you know what, I'm only going to interview women, which I did for a while. And then I started doing, you know, now about 25% of the year I interview men. But yeah. um, but that was the impetus. And, and there was also something about it that was like, I think I felt very resentful of being put into these situations with a bunch of really funny, talented women where I was supposed to feel like they were threats to me. Mm. Um, it made me so uncomfortable. And so for me, it was a way of like, wanting to just say, no, these are people I want to know and I admire and I want to learn from and I want to laugh with. And so um, so that was kind of the way I got in was like, I don't want to pry into anyone's personal life necessarily now, but I want to get to something real. Um, and, and, and that idea of like, gosh, sometimes it feels like I'm still in high school. Like I've never worried so much about how I looked yeah. or, you know, what my voice sounded like or what, you know, how I was valued sure. um, than I did when I got back into acting. And so there was something therapeutic about that for me. It was very, very selfish. Uh, um, but it, it's turned out to be like this great device because people usually have enough dif distance from their teenage self that they're able to be really open and honest about it and vulnerable mm -hmm. and and be able to laugh about it, have a sense of humor about it without feeling like they're giving over everything that they're right. going through now. Yeah. You know, how how has uh, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started the podcast? When I started the podcast. Um, God, that's a good question. I don't. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> the first, finally. <laughs> um, I don't know if there is anything. You had I it all figured out from the beginning. Well, no, I'm right. not saying that. I just, um, maybe I just haven't learned anything. That's not good either. Cool. Um, Do you, okay, well, let me ask it this because way. Because I did it for like a year before I even released episodes. Right. I didn't want yeah. to fall i didn't want to like do one and then have someone tear it apart yeah, and then i and then just be trying to play catch up all the time right you know to do what other people were criticizing like change that do totally. this i should do this differently um no that's good advice i we did that not for a year but we did 12. yeah um more so because i was afraid we were just gonna not keep doing them yeah so i was like that's a good thing let's too. get a rhythm before yeah. we go tell the world 100 percent. That that's absolutely was a part of it for me too yeah. it was like i gotta have some sort of yeah like body of work before I just sure. like throw out the yeah absolutely well what I love about your podcast is like I, I feel like I want to jump in and like argue with yeah things that people are saying or you know cheer on whatever like it feels very um I, I definitely feel like I'm in the room good that's which what... is cool and I, and I don't know that a lot of podcasts achieve that I mean I think that's the intent in a lot of cases yeah 
Um, but a lot of times it feels like there's there's more distance. Like performative, maybe in a different way yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I mean, I'm very, like, I, I was approached a couple of years in about the idea of having it be, like, more of a talk show. Like, yeah. on, like oh, let's sell this to right. syndication and you can just be a talk show host or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't think I can do that. I think it can't be for for what I'm doing and what I'm talking about and just kind of the vibe that has has made you interested in the podcast i'm afraid i'll lose that sure. if if you know if i can't do it at my house right. if i can't do it where people can come in their pajamas like i might lose some of like once you know there might be more of an awareness on people who are a little more reticent they might that might be the thing that makes the wall clang down yeah you know? sure i don't know the walls clang but you get what i'm saying i mean it's interesting because uh, i've heard you talk about that you're in your house and um and I wonder how that changes the, the dynamic. Yeah. Um, of just welcoming people into your home. And, yeah. I think it know. does. Yeah. The times, I mean, I've done some where I've been in studio. It's fine. Sure. You know, but. Um, so you don't like it here. This is saying. awful. This is my worst nightmare. We get that a lot. Uh, um, and you have another podcast starting? I have another podcast that I've been doing for, now we're going to hopefully go into our third season. It's, um, it's an improvised space comedy podcast. Okay called Voyage to the Stars. Okay. So it starts and it's like it's serialized in that, you know, the things that are happening to these characters have happened, have a beginning, a middle and right. hopefully not an end, but uh, or anytime soon, you know, I need to do something for at least seven years That's before right. I give up on it. Um, but it's Felicia Day, uh, uh, Colton Dunn, Steve Berg, Kirsten Vangsness, all of whom um, are very well known in various pockets of like TV and film and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's so fun. I love improv. I love long form improv. Yeah. Um, I, I love that as much as I hate the idea of me as a stand up. Uh -huh. um, uh, but it, it's one of my favorite things to do. And, and so, yeah, we just played, I play this um, ship. I mean, I'm the sort of AI of this alien ship whose origin is unknown. Uh, and then eventually, I get uh, like a robot body that I can also project my, you know, intelligence into. So like, I'm more a part of having these adventures with these characters. But um, but it's so fun. I love the whole thing about improv that I think is applicable to everything in, in your life, no matter who you are, is surround yourself with people who are better at something than you are. Mm. And you will rise to the occasion. You'll get better rather than shrinking. Like if you allow yourself to learn from people and to you know be inspired by people and not worry that like someone's going to think like oh she's funnier than i am or whatever um you will only get better and and sure. so that's i love being surprised by people i think are brilliant and and wanting to impress them back yeah like that's a really good inspiration and sort of a motivator for me absolutely and you get that from improv stand up no way Right. Stand up, I would just find ways to be in my own head, you know, going like, this is not going well. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a good act. This is it. This is a real, I'm a failure. It's, it's already been done. Yeah, I've I guarantee those. you, someone's amazing those. at failing as For a stand up sure. and succeeding. Um, and then, what else? You have, you have more, you have so many projects happening. Uh, I would say that and, um, if you if you're looking for something fun that's like more bite-sized streaming, you can look at the thing that I did last year for IFC called Fortune Rookie, 
um, which is sort of like Curb Your Enthusiasm meets Portlandia, which was not something I was oh, wow. planning on. Yeah. And then at I've the end, it. when I, we were done, I didn't really, yeah. yeah, when we were done, like one of the executives was like, oh my God, it's Curb Your Enthusiasm meets Portlandia. I was like, oh, oh, it really, it really is. That's well, funny. I wish I'd had that log line when I started, I guess, but that's sort of, so it's just a version of me who's kind of a more of a jerk who is told by someone that um, they can sense that I have psychic powers. Right. Uh, and so I, I quit show business because it's too hard um, to pursue my life as a fortune teller with zero experience and just like totally lazy about it and assuming that I'm just gonna be really good at it and I'm very bad. So how do you, um, how do you manage all this and how do you, how do you decide what to say no to? I'm a really bad at saying no to stuff. Cool. Uh, um, that gets ingrained in you really early on too. Like, what if that's the thing that, or yeah. I've been in the situation where I'm asking for favors for a thing that's a love project of mine. You know, like the fortune rookie thing, like people were paid almost nothing, but I really called in all of my relationships. Like James Roday, I've done psych a couple of times. We become friends, yeah. please come do this. Like, so he's sort of my nemesis. And Fred Armisen, whom I've known, cause he did our third sketch fest oh, ever. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I've known him for that long was like, hey, you want to come in? So I know what it feels like to be on the other side of that. So I always want to say yes, mm -hmm. because I, it means so much to me when people take the time out. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very bad at saying no. Uh, I think I burn the candle at both ends in a way that would suggest that like I never sit on the couch and watch TV, but I 100% spend so much time watching TV on the couch at night. Okay. I think I'd like shut down at a certain point. Yeah. Another reason I can't be a stand-up comedian is right. that like at oh, the, yeah, the sun nights. goes down and that is my signal like I'm done. <laughs> I am done. Sure. Um, so it's yeah, like, like a that. lot of like working really hard and just trying to be as like ex as sort of expedient as I can um, and not like fart around too much during the day, hence I'm never on social media, right. because like the time I put in is very concentrated, and then when it's done, if I don't decompress, like I would just go into like some sort of weird spiral and never work again. Um, so how does never being on social media work Not well. in, a, in an era where you well. know, you're expected to promote everything yeah. you're doing on social media? I promote, I definitely get on and I promote, I have made zero, um, like I've hovered around the same amount of followers pretty much since I started on social media. Got it. I'm just not doing anything yeah. to get people to follow me. Yeah. I'm not doing anything shocking. You should put that I'm on your Twitter. I'm not talking about politics. Tagline. I'm just, and I would, I'm, listen, I would love more because Don't unfortunately it is very important to some people. They definitely are like, well, she might've done a better job, but this person has, you know, 300,000 followers. Right. Um, but if I, start going down that road, to me, that's a whole other career. Like someone like Paul sure. F. Tompkins, who is one of my favorite all-time comedians, who is a dear friend, who I admire so much, he has created an enormous following on social media because he's on it all the time and he's saying brilliant stuff yeah. and he's being provocative and he's making funny videos. He really does all the stuff you could ever hope anyone would do on social media. You can get it all in one place and mm -hmm. now I'm, look, I'm promoting him. Like, don't follow me, <laughs> follow Paula. You that's can follow right. me too, at Janet Varney. Um, but that's, I don't, I can't. I, I, I can't. Yeah or I will have to give up all these other things. Um, and it may come to a point where I'm like, I better give up a bunch of stuff and just live on social media for a while, but. Probably not. Right now, I, I just can't. Seems to be working. Oh. Well, um, I have to get to a lightning round before we let you go. Great. 
Let's I like feel it. like I could talk to you all day. I know. This has been so fun. Um, I love so that we just jumped right into the heavy stuff. You'll have stuff. to come back. I will. We'll love talk to. about more heavy I stuff. I absolutely will. What's your favorite city to travel to? Um, boy, it's, that's going to be like a what is, what is immediate in my mind, not necessarily like what is at the top. Okay. But uh, I really, um, I really love Copenhagen. Yeah, it's me too. It's so homogenous. I feel guilty somehow saying that because I'm talking about a place where everyone looks like my brother or sister. Yeah, well, you look um, like you could be. It's you not, it, but but it's just a it's just a wonderful, lovely place, and you know, yeah. there's something to be said for like people who are sort of part of a I guess it's a wealthy country, but it's it's just a very very kind place and beautiful yeah. and. You so know. basically, anywhere wealthy and white, you're it's happy. Awful. I mean, it's awful. I'm so hyper aware of that. I want you to know I'm hyper aware of that. It's a great city Oof. and uh, people should go there. Yeah. Um, what is the last great book you read? Uh, well, let's see. I've listened to a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. Um, that is a way that, that I am able to do those things. Yeah. Um, I listened to, I'm trying to think of what I've just last listened to. Um, I listened to a really interesting book called, oh, Savage Appetites. Okay. Which is uh, it's it's a an, an author Rachel I cannot remember her last name Savage Appetites I'm glad I came up with a name um, she, she she wrote uh, she's writing sort of analytically about uh, women who are, um, are 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 obsessed with true crime mm. and sort of the oh, different wow. ways in which we participate or don't or yeah. become obsessive and why and all that kind of stuff. It was really, really interesting. I like, because I'm interested in true crime, but I'm also hyper aware of the fact that I am one of the many women who's interested in it. So I enjoy the meta of that. I enjoy so another woman helping me sort yeah. of process through, you know, what that means and what it's all about. Okay. Um, favorite DJ, or if you don't have one, who, your favorite live act live band that you've yeah. seen um i god favorite dj i'm trying to think of like the time in my life when i was very into like british bands and um and djs mm. and i would i have to go back to like the early 2000s so i'm trying to think of like who i went and saw all i can think of is this movie that i used to love that was about british like club kid culture that was really funny which one i can't even remember what it's called i think it might be like 24 hour 24 party, hour party people. people right one of my favorite movies didn't it have like so a little good. flat eric in it it had like a little fuzz that full fuzzy guy anyway there was all the same part of that. this um that was i loved that movie um but in terms of like live stuff that i would see now um you know, I love Jose Gonzalez. Okay. He's great. He's he's a Swede. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I think is. he's Swedish. He's great. He's like, um, you know, he's he's just mostly acoustic. He has a but he worked with like Zero Seven. That's how okay. I found him. Nice. Is that he's one of those artists like Sia that Zero Seven sort of pulled into the mainstream, mm -hmm. um, and he's just awesome. Nice. And he d he works with a lot of producers and DJs and remixes his stuff. And oh, like, cool. It's very cool. Nice. I'll check him out. Yeah. What movie have you seen the most in your life? Oh, as many times? Like yeah. how many? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I really loved The Man with Two Brains for like most of my okay. childhood until I became 20 and then probably even still after that. I really grew up on Steve Martin movies, yeah. like the absurd ones, like The Jerk, Man with Two sure. Brains, where you're like, this is batshit. Like you look back and you're like, I De can't believe they were making these movies. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. So good. What a weird, like he was yeah. one of the original like samplers. Like, yeah. oh, you're, you know, yeah, very much ahead of the of the curve on that. Totally. So that's one. Um, 
I mean, I really saw the Silence of the Lambs like so many times. Mm. I was so into Jodie Foster. Okay. Uh, and then I and then loved Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. And like, yeah, that was that was a movie, and I loved Jonathan Demme. So that was really a confluence of like a bunch of stuff I thought was really really well done and cool. Um, is there a style of yours? period in your life that you are very happy is not on social media? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there was definitely, I mean, yeah, I mean, I kind of wish that there were more pictures of me as like a goth teen out there because it's hard for people to believe that that sure. was real. Um, you have to, you need to go recreate that. I need to go recreate it. Uh, so that is, it's almost the reverse answer. Uh -huh. um, that's good. I'll take I, it. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a, definitely a period where like I I definitely had like very short hair and looked very like '90s like cranberries sort of that kind okay. of like yeah yeah I can probably see that. like b too many baggy pants and tight t-shirts like that awesome. kind of thing was was and I had a tattoo and I just grabbed the wrong arm I had a tattoo um, so you that had. was I did yeah I got I had to get it removed when I moved down here oh wow I kept getting booked for stuff. <laughs> Uh, and then they would find out I had these two dark black double bands on my arms and makeup artists could not cover it. Sure. They would all say they could. Yeah. So they would try and then I would walk out on set in a tank top and the director would be like, what's happening? Who are you? So I started getting really nervous about it. So I gradually got it removed. Wow. That yeah. sounds painful. Yeah, it was. Um, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any quality or ability, what would it be? Um, any quality or ability, I would say, you know what, let's say, let's say mathematics. Okay. Let's say mathematics because then I could dive into a bunch of stuff that I'm interested in, um, including the mathematics of music yeah. and things like astronomy and, um, and just like delight in that. I think that would be amazing. That's great. And then um, if I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say on a regular basis? Uh, probably like, I'm so sorry I keep apologizing for things got to be really annoying that's great yeah i love it thank you for doing this this oh, is my amazing pleasure. yeah uh, this was such a great please come great back chat. promote yeah. stuff and i would love talk to about whatever you want i would love to um and then you can noodle for me i, I, I need to see some i don't play anything <laughs> i have no great. talent so we're gonna whatsoever. have a good jam session musical or otherwise great um <laughs> uh, and everyone should be listening to the JV Club. Thank and you. Check uh, out Voyage to the Stars. Voyage if you to like, the Stars. Yeah, goofy I love stars. the game. Uh, next time you're back, I want to talk about the, the game you play on the podcast. With oh, people, uh, with Mash? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like, that's totally confusing to me and interesting. Oh, the game of Mash? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can all, we'll have to have you on my podcast in the summer and then we can just play Whatever it and then you you'll want. know it inside and out. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, right Jay. on. Thanks for having me. You know, that was Janet Barney on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, leave us a comment. Uh, say whatever you want to us. Tell us what you're feeling about this show. Make sure, tell us what you think about the JV Club. I'd love for you to, to check out her show and uh, write us about that. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, pretty much everywhere at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.